have to learn your cliches. You're gonna have to study them. You're gonna have to know them. Well, you know, you go out there and you give 110% and you want to play good and, you know, you hope you play good. I think we play pretty good tonight. Well, you know, there's no I in the word team, and this is a team effort. 10-5, touchdown. Oh, man, you know, you just got to play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%. All right! Play ball. Hi there, ice holes, and thanks, A, for downloading the 12th edition of Scoring at the Movies. We're the hosers who take some time to review sports movies, and we ruin every single second of them for you, if at all possible. I'm the fella who's never taken nor delivered a punch on skates, nor not on skates for that matter, Ryan Ellis. And here's my cohort in hockey crimes, the lanky enforcer, Chris DiGregorio. Thanks very much, and I'd like to tell you that you've been touched by the microphone of God. Did I say the line of the movie? Touched by touched God? Touched by the fist of God. Oh, by the fist of God. Really? Okay. And then you get the picture of Loopy? <laughs> Nothing? Oh, jeez. You've seen the movie more than once, you said, and I have not. Well, recently, I mean. I've seen the movie twice ever, but just once this past week. Yeah, there's something about this movie, which is Goon, because I don't think we've said that yet, right? Well, they know when they download it that it's Goon, but yes. <laughs> Let's pretend they don't. Yeah, there's something about this movie that just sort of speaks to the inner Canadian hockey geek in me, I guess. Fair. This was your choice. It was my choice, and I stand by it. I still think it's... An enjoyable movie. I guess we'll figure out what your thoughts are vis-a-vis -vis good or not good. It helps if it's on Netflix, so it was easy to get to. That's what Slapshot. Maybe we'll do that eventually. The low, low price really yeah. brought up the, <laughs> the appeal. Bar. Wow. If it's on my oh, shelf dear. or on Netflix, then we got to watch it. Yeah, okay. Well, so right, so you talked, was it just last week or two weeks ago, I should say, about your beer choice? You're going to pair a beer with every podcast. So what is this week's beer? And also, did you like last week's selection? Last week was the Session 7. Session 7. Ale from Side Launch Brewery here in Collingwood, Ontario. It's one of their seasonal releases, so I thought that was really good. This week, Playmaker American Pale Ale from what is this Northern Maverick Brewing Company here in Toronto. This is a new one to me. I've never tried it before. Early indications are pretty good. You've had about a third of it. I've got to loop up the instrument a little bit here. All right, come on. Give me a break. Don't well, give away. In, in light of us doing a hockey movie, which of course is so Canadian, and beer up here, I'm drinking a traditional Mill Street Organic. <laughs> Normally I don't drink beer, but today I'll have at least one, maybe more than one. A subtle nod to the Canadiana that is Goon. I mm -hmm. appreciate that. One of these days we'll do a whiskey cast or something. I'm into that. Yeah. Okay, so Goon debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2011, then came out in February 2012, so it's six and a half-ish years old. Not a hit, but it had a small budget, so is it did it? okay in the end. It was actually, where is it here, 156th at the 2012 U.S. box office, with just over $4 bucks. The Avengers... Made a lot more money than that. Hold on, just hold the phone. And it was number one that year. You're telling me that Avengers outperformed Goon? By at least $12. I refuse to believe One that. ticket. I'm gonna, actually, it's more than that for a ticket now, isn't I'm it? I'm going to need a review of the facts on this one, Ryan, because <laughs> I don't know if I can trust you at this point. I couldn't find Goon when I looked at Box Office Mojo. I thought it would maybe be in the 80s or 90s, and I keep on scrolling. Then I finally just typed in Goon to see how much it made. Then I went back to see where it was in the ranking. 156. There was also, well, this is actually pretty good. Rotten Tomatoes, 82% of critics like the film, 70% of audiences. That's not bad at all. And the reviews for the sequel, which is Goon, The Last of the Enforcers as the subtitle, whatever you call it, they're in the 40 percentile range, so not so good. It doesn't surprise me. I haven't seen the sequel yet, I haven't either. to be honest. I haven't been able to track it down. I will at some point. I like this movie enough that I'll watch it just for that sake alone, but this movie is very much like a lot of sports movies to me in that I think it wraps up in a way that's pretty satisfying and doesn't necessarily call out for a sequel, so everyone seemed to like it. It doesn't surprise me that uh, fellow Ontarian Jay Barrichell would want to go out and make a second one. All right, one. first dispute of the podcast, Jay Barrichell. 
Really? We disputed this a few weeks ago. Is that how it's pronounced? Baruchel. I don't like it. It conflicts with my inner Italianness. All right, fine. I can see that one. Jay Baruchel. Doesn't surprise me he'd want to make a sequel, but it doesn't feel like the thing that needs to have one. He wrote and directed the sequel, I guess, on his own. Well, he definitely directed it on his own. And he wrote this one, and he's in a co-wrote with Evan Goldberg, who's Seth Rogen's writing partner. Rogen and Baruchel worked on a few yeah, movies together. The director is actually Michael Douse, who did Fubar in the sequel. Really? That's a pretty infamous Canadian movie, <laughs> That's Fubar. That's a pretty infamous one, yeah. So this is his film, but the sequel. I don't know if Douse was involved at all, even as a producer. He definitely didn't direct it. That was Baruchel, Baruchel. Uh... So I have to nutshell this for us. This one's all right, I think. Okay, lay it on me. In honor of our first hockey movie, because this is our second now, after right. the one we did first, it's The Mighty Dugs. <laughs> Punch, 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 oh, wow. punch, punch. You're not doing it with me. Punch, I'm not punch. Doing that. Nope. <laughs> okay, then quack, quack. It should be quack. Thug, thug, thug. How many thugs? Doug the thug, man. Come on. Oh, no, nothing? No. Okay, well, well you I said like you did there. Okay. The Mighty Dugs was pretty good. All right. You said you're a fan. I'm not really. Not a badly disposed thumbs down, whatever that means exactly. Didn't help I watched this movie a few days ago when I had a bit of a bad day. Our dog Fox is sick, so I was in a bit of a mood about that. But I didn't really laugh at what's supposed to be a funny movie. I didn't dislike it. It's not like, oh, I hate this fucking shit. It was just that I didn't really enjoy myself because I didn't yeah. chuckle. See, that's the thing about this movie. I know it's supposed to be a comedy. The immediate thought about it is that this is going to be like a rollicking good time. I guess like slapshotty, right? Mm-hmm. I feel the same way. I don't ever laugh out loud, I don't think. There might be one or two moments where I just sort of smile and then slightly chuckle a little bit. And that's usually when Sean William Scott does something ridiculously polite in the midst of a brawl or something. He's a very nice guy. He's a very nice guy. Or George LaRock turning to him on the ice and saying, hey, you want to go? Yeah, okay, thanks for asking. Good luck, man. Good luck, man. Have a good fight. Thank you. You too, right? And then they go beat the shit of each other. kind of sick for fighters, but it is their job to be fighters, so I guess in some ways it's honorable. I remember Bob Probert and Liev Schreiber, based on what he does in this movie, on Bob Probert, beat up somebody in some fight. It might have been Ty Domi, whoever was some famous fighter at the time. And when it was over, he tapped him on the head nicely. It was not a headbutt. Just tapped him very lightly as if to say, good job, kid. Good yeah. job, buddy. Way to go. Good fight. Which is both kind of nice and also kind of sick. <laughs> it's a little sick. And I mean, there's a reason why you don't see fighting in hockey anymore at the professional mm-hmm. level. But I also think that you're right. It's like a professional camaraderie. But for all of that, there's an underlying kind of silliness to it and good humor. And for yeah. a movie that's about people beating the snot out of one another, it doesn't get mired down in dark, brooding, visceral introspection that you could get into in a lot of movies. And the kind of stuff that has really fucked over DC, I think, in their quest to become a franchise-producing machine like Marvel has, is they get lost in the dark of human nature. And this movie really leans hard into the light kind of thing. Isn't that, that funny that I mentioned Avengers, the start of the podcast, yeah. was the big hit that year, because this is Avengers-like in that way. What little sort of downer you get from this movie comes from, I guess, Eugene Levy's character, which is kind of ironic in and of itself. A great comic actor like that would mm-hmm. be the downer of the movie. His judgmental dad. Yeah, he only appears, I think, in, what, two scenes? Two scenes at least, yeah. Will not give Doug the time of day. doesn't matter what he does. He will not accept him because he's not a doctor, he's not a lawyer, he's not a successful anything, really, at this point. When the movie starts, he's just a bouncer. Security yeah. on his shirt. He gets a much better job than that, although he's probably concussed throughout the whole film. He does seem a little touched. He knows he's dumb. He even acknowledges it at one point. Yeah. Now, one thing i got to ask you, as a fan of the film, you're saying you didn't laugh that much, even though I guess you're supposed to because it is a comedy. But you've been complaining a few times in our recent podcasts about the love stories. You mentioned it on Kingpin, I think it was, right? Here's a love story. Not a huge part of the movie, but it's certainly important. Alison Pill and Sean William Scott. 
what do you think of those two together and what do you think of that subplot I didn't mind it, to be honest with you. It provided a little bit of anchoring, I thought, for the Sean William Scott character in his new home of... Halifax. Halifax, thank you, yeah. I was going to say St. John's, but of course Halifax. St. John's is the Leo Schreiber team. Yes, the Shamrocks. He gets displaced, and he's alone, and at that point, unaccepted by anybody. So I think, in that case, I can get that he needs something to hold on to. Somebody to accept him, because nobody has, except for the Jay Baruchel character, (laughs) to that point. So... It was fine. She doesn't have a ton to do in this movie. I think that's my primary complaint with a lot of these love stories in sports movies is that the female characters are often... just there to be the love interest. Yeah, they don't serve much other She's purpose. got a little bit of sauce, actually, because she is a self-admitted slut. Yeah, I like to fuck around. Or right. You make me want to stop sleeping with a bunch of guys. And she's with a guy <laughs> when she's messing around with Doug. So there's a little bit of juice in that character right there, I think. At least that's something. This movie really hammers home over time the fact that Doug is I don't know we've we've really explained that too clearly. Doug Glatt is the Sean William Scott yeah. character in this. And he's based on a real guy, Doug the Hammer Smith. He right. became a coach and a cop and they show stuff of the real guy at the end of the film and the outtakes, not the outtakes, but the credit sequence. Yeah, and that real guy was a minor league enforcer in the way that the Doug Glatt They show some of his fights, his yeah. real actual fights. He was never in the NHL, but he made it to I think the ECHL, which I think mm. is what the league in this movie, the EMHL, the Eastern Maritime Hockey League is where Doug plays with the Halifax Highlanders. Highlanders. I think that's supposed to be an analog for the ECHL, which is kind of like a second tier professional league. But throughout the movie, they just hammer home the fact that Doug's a good guy, right? He's, yeah, he's a really nice he guy. Is. He's respectful. The only reason he's doing this is because he wants to belong, and the only way that he can find to do that is to be the tough guy that protects his team. Because he's great at punching. He's great at punching. He's great at taking a punch. He's the brick hit house yes. that, that Homer Simpson is. In the Homer episode. wasn't good at punching in that episode, but he was very good he at taking take a punch. The way that they really prove how good a guy Doug is towards the end of the movie, before he plays that final game against the Shamrocks, is he wins the girl, and in most movies, that would be it. She's dumped her lame-ass boyfriend, and she's moved on to the hero of the movie, and that makes everybody happy. Rocky ending. Yeah, and you see Doug and Eva. Eva's her name, right? Alison Pill's character is Eva, I Let's think. check. I'm pretty confident dan, that. Dan, yes, you're right. Dan, 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 that was the shortest dan-dan-dan we've ever had. <laughs> yeah. They're in bed together, it's the feel-good moment, and then he disappears, and it's because he has to go apologize to the boyfriend, the ex now, right. and say, I'm sorry, and he has to let the guy punch him half a dozen times. Hit me again, hit me again. And then when they ask, where'd you go? It's, when you deserve a beating, you gotta take it. Or He's awfully wrong. banged up from a guy who's not really a fighter either. Well, he was just on his knees, taking roundhouse punches to the face, I can see that. The puck to the face scene was not that long before either, so I guess he's still recovering from that. That was pretty gruesome. That was pretty brutal, yeah. <laughs> I kind of like the fact that not only did he take the puck to the face, in other movies, I suspect that puck to the face, where it just drops on the goal line, you'd see the buzzer go off. In this case, there's five more seconds right. on the clock, and they're just hacking away, hacking away at his face with their sticks, and he's still managing to make saves. <laughs> now, speaking of fighting, because that's why this movie even exists, let's talk about some real stats. I looked this up. Hockey fights in the NHL are now pretty quaint. There have only been 44 and 195 games. I'm sure there's been more games than that, but I looked yeah. this up a few days ago. It was 44 fights. That's not very many at all. There were 1,110, 1,110 fights in the 87-88 season alone. The thing I found was a graph, and it spikes huge there. Now, fighting was always big when we were kids. I talked about Bob Probert. He was the heavyweight yeah. champion of all of them, I guess. But there were a ton of people. Chris Nyland, Ty Domi, you can name guys forever. Marty, Marty McSorley, McSorley, infamously. And they also, not really parody or homage, but they reference when he smacked Donald Brashear in the head with his stick. That's it's right. worse in the movie. I remember when McSorley did that. It was not cool. He should have been suspended. He should have been 
disgraced the way it he was. It was pretty bad, though. But what they show in the movie is more of a wham rather than... McSorley yeah. didn't tap him, but he didn't absolutely hammer him in the head. He probably would have killed him if he had. I know what you're saying. The McSorley thing was bad, but you're right. The uh, Lee F. Schreiber character just does like a full baseball swing yes. at the guy's head with a... Sick. Why McSorley didn't just hit Brashear in the shoulder, which he says he was trying to do. But anyway, they do reference that in this movie. So fights are not as frequent as they used to be. And as far as fighting goes, I said before, I've never been in a real fight ever, especially as a hockey player. I've never really played hockey either. Just standing up straight on skates, I find impressive. I haven't done that in a long time. Yeah, but how do you both. ever learn to fight? And Jay Baruchel is the one who shows him how to do it, this little scrawny yeah. guy. I kind of love that. I like Jay Baruchel generally. Mm-hmm. I think he's a good actor, and I think he's a funny guy. Where he loses me often is he gets super crude in his roles a lot of the time. And he did in this. He swears and a he lot. And he did in this. And swearing I don't care about. I don't even care if you're crude, frankly, but... He lays it on so thick in this movie that his character doesn't really do much for me except be that guy that's just always got his buddies back. From that perspective, he's a lot of fun. He does have a few good lines. You asked me if I giggled in this movie. The thought that this guy's running like a local cable show and he's got a heckler that just won't let up and does things like call him in to say, hey, you won the sweepstakes of 50 dicks and you can either like suck all 50 of them now or suck one a month for the next 50 months. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Like it's pretty stupid, but it's kind of cute. But on the whole... I didn't love his character, but I also love the fact, because it kind of reminds... I'm a bit of a bigger guy than Jay Baruchel, but it reminds me of me watching hockey from a distance and thinking, I know exactly how you are supposed to do these things. But you can't really do it yourself. I couldn't come close to it. I can barely stand up on skates myself, like you said. We're both very bad Canadians, but I feel like if it came to it, I had to like show somebody how you take a proper slap shot or how you do a flip pass... Those are the kinds of things I've watched so often that I could dissect the technique, even if I couldn't do it myself. And it's exactly what you said. Like Jay Baruchel does that for his buddy. Look, you grab them on the shoulder, you take hold of the sweater, and then when they come in close, give them the uppercut. He's watched so many minutes of these fights for his shitty local cable show. I don't even know what tier of team it is that plays in this Massachusetts town. Because if going to the ECHL or the EMHL in this movie is a big step up for Doug Glatt when he gets that promotion. How low a tier of hockey is this? As low as it gets. But then it if is. you have a dream, and Doug didn't have that dream, I wouldn't say, until it was foist upon him. But these other guys that have a dream of playing, at least you're playing, at least you're getting paid to do what you love to do. No, absolutely. Or at the very least, you're not paying to do it the way you and I pay to play softball or the way people are, you know, will play hockey, but they're paying to do that. Yeah. There's some kind of honor in that and some kind of coolness in that. No, I agree. And one of the things I wanted to ask you before we really got into our feelings on the movie itself, which I guess we've touched on at this point to some degree, is I think this will also really inform how you feel about this movie, is whether or not you're a fan of the notion of fighting in hockey, or maybe put slightly differently, a notion of self-policing in sports, because that's what fighting notionally comes down to is... You did something, whether it was to insult my player, you took a run at our best player, you cross-checked our best player. Which happens in this film. Yeah. Because of that, we are now going to come back and beat the shit out of you to even the scales. And we see that in other sports, too. Like, football, it's easy because it's such a physical game. Baseball, it's the pitcher beating somebody. Mm -hmm. Basketball is one of those rare sports where I guess you don't see it very often. They slap fight each other. Yeah, and then they get kicked out of the game. There's so little tolerance for any kind of physical altercation in basketball, unless you can sort of mask an elbow to the head as an accidental movement, that you don't see it a lot there. But there is that sense in sports of some kind of code and Mm. enforcing that code and not relying on the officials to do it for you at all times. I think it's safe to say neither one of us is necessarily a big fight fan in hockey. No. 
but I understand. Oh, yes, I agree. I'm not a fan. Yeah. Right. We probably both also understand this sense of self-policing, where it comes from, even if we don't necessarily subscribe to all of its tenets. Before right? I tell you what I think, we see the scene where a goon cross-checks La Flamme. La Flamme? Yep. La Flamme. Exactly. Flamme. And then Doug tackles him and beats the living piss out of him. Yeah. And everybody, especially the coach, but everybody on the team is pissed at the guy. In reality, they love him. They would, but, whether we do or not. His teammates and the, probably the coach, but definitely his teammates would fucking worship him for doing that. Like you said, I've seen this movie a couple times recently. And the first time I watched it, I agreed with you. I thought it was a weird reaction. But as I watch it more and more, I started to wonder, are they pissed off? Because the reason Laflamme got plastered to begin with was because Doug got turned around and lost his man and it opened him up for the check. So that was one thing I thought they were disappointed with. And I think the coach was not disappointed with the fact that Doug stood up for his buddy. That was his job, was yeah. to beat the shit of anybody that cross-checked the flam or looked at him sideways. But that he did it to such an extreme. he, missed, he got suspended? Yeah, he missed the opportunity to protect the player that he should have taken to begin with, and then retroactively overdid it, and now he's suspended for a game, and his team needed him. I thought that was the disappointment. Okay, fair. That's true. But just the reaction that they have, including the players on the bus, I don't really buy it. I think they'd be in his corner. Maybe the coach would be a piss them the way that Kim Coates plays him in this movie. Another Canadian actor, by the way. You mentioned Jay Baruchel yeah. being a fan of his. He plays a non-Canadian, but he is Canadian. That's and right. a lot of these guys, like Liev Schreiber and Sean William Scott, are not. I guess Sean William Scott's supposed to be American as well. But the point is that some of these guys are crossing over. They are Canadian, but play American and yeah. vice versa. By the way, Kim Coates, I generally love. And mm. I loved him in this role, too. He reminded me of a John Tortorella-type angry guy yeah, coach. Fair. He's been in a lot of movies. I didn't realize that he'd been in The Last Boy Scout, Black Hawk Down, some pretty big titles. Oh, so I, he's a Canadian actor, and he yeah. gets a lot of Canadian roles, but he's been in big American movies, Hollywood movies. Okay, so my answer to you. I've never been in a fight myself. I said that already. One night, long time ago, and I lived on my own, I was about to go to bed, turn the TV off, and I hear some guys arguing downstairs, a couple floors beneath me. And then I hear the sound, unmistakably, of a fist hitting a face, which doesn't sound like it does in the movies at all. It doesn't sound like smacking some... No couch with a ping pong paddle as Roger Ebert used to Much say it was. meteor sound right. usually. And it made me feel a little sick. I was almost scared. I have nothing to do with this. They're not coming after me. They don't even know I'm up there. And I was a grown man but I felt a little bit afraid because that sounds awful. Yeah, it's so, not great. Call me a liberal leaning baby <laughs> but I didn't like that. So as far as it being in sports, I was never that against it until I heard guys going on about it on TSN a while ago and I thought they're making some good points here. And it is one of the only sports, if not, well I guess it is the only sport, certainly of the major ones if it's considered major anymore, maybe hockey isn't or you can hit somebody with a punch. It's mm -hmm. part of the game. Yes, you're penalized, but you can still keep playing the game. You mentioned basketball. They're out of the game if they do that. If baseball players fight, they're supposed to be out of the game. I guess if anybody ever throws a punch in a bench-clearing brawl, that happens way more often in baseball than ever does in hockey, by the way. Bench-clearing brawls and oh, yeah. real problems. Well, if you leave the bench in hockey to go fight somebody, you are suspended at a minimum a few games immediately go. just by virtue of having left the and bench. And in baseball, every one of them will go out there, and only people yeah. that really cause trouble will ever be punished for it. So anyway... I don't like fighting in hockey. I'm more against it now than I was, say, 10 or 15 years ago. I don't watch Don Cherry anymore. I'm sure he still goes on about it and is not in the game enough and all that kind of stuff. But I do understand, not the need for it, but the logic for why, yeah, Marty McSorley, when he was a pro, he wasn't a bad player, and Bob Probert actually was a pretty talented guy for a goon. Yeah. McSorley was on that team, and so was Dave Semenko, the Oilers team, Semenko. to, protect, yeah, to protect Gretzky, especially Semenko, but McSorley too, to protect Gretzky and probably Messier and Curry and the rest as well. So they could play their game and not have to worry about having clear ice. They could skate wherever they wanted to, basically, because if you mess with him, you mess with me. But the part of me, I guess, that's the liberal-leaning lefty pinko, <laughs> looks at that and says, that's what the referees and the officials are for. That's what suspensions are for. If you do something wrong in a game, you should be punished for it by them. Yeah. This vigilantism, this Batman stuff, I'll take care of it for you. <laughs> it's kind of dumb. 
So I'm very much on the fence, but if I had to go to one side or the other, I would definitely be against the idea of fighting in hockey. Long-winded answer. Go ahead, your response. Well, sir, I'm just picturing Batman on skates at this point. But He always has to play the sports that yeah. we cover here. I feel like I've almost had to hold you back a few times on the baseball diamond. Yeah, though, right? I have a bad temper. Usually it's when you get buzzed inside by a pitch. Three-pitch pitch, by the way. Yeah, that's why I have to hold you back, because it's our own team pitching to us at that point. I don't want you trying to attack our own players, but I agree with you. And in hockey, it almost felt like an arms race in the late 80s, early 90s. When we were kids, yeah. Yeah. Because, as I said, over a 1,000 fights in one season, but almost never in the playoffs. Maybe in the playoffs sometimes back then, but you never see it anymore, almost never anymore, because you're hurting your team by being penalized and maybe being suspended, like in this movie. And the other thing is it just isn't in the sport anymore the way it was. And I think the sport has done a very good job of changing the rules to make it very punitive to jump a player in the way that I think used to be more common. And you might get a match penalty, like a five-minute major in a game and maybe a suspension, but it wouldn't be too severe. And I think that's where the enforcer notion came from originally. You got into the 70s and the Philadelphia Flyers became that it's like punishing force. The Broad Street Bullies. Exactly. And they would just beat you down physically. And then that grew to every team wanting a certain number of bruisers on their roster just so they could protect the skilled players. And every team did. Had at least one guy. And every game I can remember you'll see one or two or three fights and it's usually the enforcers fighting the enforcers and there's not much else to it. And it was just a little silly and I never understood the point. It disrupted the flow of the game as the rules change and the ability of the enforcers to do things like initiate a fight because you're now going to get an instigator penalty and if you get into too many fights you're going to get suspended and and on it goes so teams start dropping those players from the roster everybody now just has a roster of players that can actually play the game at a skilled level who's going to fight each other now i think the notion was historically if my star player got injured yeah, the league might give that guy a penalty or suspend him a few games, but I'm out my star player for a long time. Yep. You're out a player. It might just be a bruiser for a game or two. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who's hurt now. That just doesn't happen anymore. So you don't need to level the skills. You don't have to put right. the fear of God into somebody else to prevent them from trying to injure your players. We mentioned Slapshot earlier. I'm sure that was based at least partly on the Philadelphia Flyers' success of the mid-70s. Oh, yeah, definitely. They won two Stanley Cups, and yeah, they had talent with Bobby Clark and Bill Barber, but they had an awful lot of guys who would beat the piss out of you, yeah. including those two guys, well, at least Bobby Clark. Bobby would. Clark, definitely, yeah. And that was really not the way the game should have been played. The Canadians were still a great franchise at that point, and they were mostly skill. They had their bruisers, but it was mostly their skill players. There was always a place for the skilled players, but there was that 20-year stretch, it felt like, where there needed to be this shield in front of them, that screen of players. You know what I'll say? Safe. By the way, two things, three things, in fact, in favor of fighting, even though I'm going to go against what I just said a minute ago. One thing, Don Cherry's videos always did well. Maybe they don't need more, but when we were young, they always did well. And they were not always, but mostly about fighting. Two, yeah. when a fight happened, or maybe even happens now, what gets a crowd to their feet as much as anything in a hockey game? A fight fans go fucking nuts, especially when it was that bang, 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 both punching each other at the same time. I agree with you, and I'm not saying that fighting isn't popular generally. It clearly is, and there's a reason why things like the UFC have gained so much popularity in recent years because people like to watch that. Are legitimately beating each other up. Yeah. Which also freaks me out. I can't watch that. I'm not a big fan either, but I think, like you said, we're both wussy, left-leaning liberals. I like hockey for its speed, its skill, to watch people do things really quickly oh, I know my I third point sorry do. interrupting I know my yeah. third point now that's what we're talking about speed and talent and all that stuff obviously there are speedy talented players now Ovechkin, Crosby a lot of other guys too but when it was in its mid at Haiti but our youth when Gretzky and Lemieux and Iserman and Savard and Messier and on and on were all scoring 120 150 Gretzky and Lemieux's case basically 200, 200 plus points yeah 
That happened because they had room to do it. And because, yes, they had the Proberts and the Semenkos and the McSorleys to protect their ass as well. They didn't have to worry about getting hit. They probably got hit here and there, but not very often. In some cases, not at all. Maybe that is a bit of a drawback because, yeah, it's also the defensive game. The left wing lock and the trap and all that shit where there's really no room to skate anywhere. But it may also be a matter of someone like Crosby. Maybe not so much now with all the concussions, but when he was young, 18, 19, 20 years old, he had to fight his own battles half the time. Yep. Sidney Crosby in the 80s, the exact same talented player, transported back, or Maurice Richard, who had to deal with his own bullshit problems in the, what, 50s or 60s, whenever he was in his prime? Yeah. Okay. Take both those guys, move one of them back a couple of decades, and up a couple of decades in the Gretzky era, and they probably score as many points, if not more, than Gretzky, Lemieux, and the rest of those guys I mentioned. Gretzky was incredible. Part of what made Lemieux incredible, though, and for me, I don't know who I admired more as a kid of those two. I know Gretzky obviously has the leading point score in the NHL by a mile and probably all his That's about 100 records, literally, I think it is. But Lemieux has the most points per game in history. If it wasn't for illness and injury, he might well have challenged Gretzky. Mm -hmm. And what made him so impressive is he was a big man. He was like 6'4", 6'5", 220. Mm -hmm. He would fend off checkers. Like Gretzky would dance and be protected by the Semenkos of the world. And Lemieux would be too, to a certain degree. Like he's not dropping the gloves a lot, but he could. And he did at times. He would fight his own battles. And I think you see that more in the NHL now. A lot of the stars of today, like the Alex Ovechkins. You said Sidney Crosby. He's not a huge guy. But even the Connor McDavid's. And Connor McDavid might be the best player in the NHL now. Mm -hmm. And he's a big boy, too. He's about 6'4", 6'5", 220. And he's the same thing. You can try to take him down and check him, but good luck to you. He might be the strongest guy on the ice. Right, okay, fair. So he can just barrel his way through things. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, the league has changed so that you can't hook on to a player. Like you mentioned things like the left wing lock. And they the still do. But it's not... They do, but you tap a guy's gloves these days to try to slow him down or disrupt his stick handling a little bit, and you're likely as not to get a slashing penalty. Like, it's a much different league now than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Of course, one of the big reasons why there's no more scoring the way there was when we were young, I keep on referencing that, but it's true, are the goalies. The goalies are more talented. They get low. You watch that old footage of the 70s, even the 80s. Most goalies stood up straight, and you'd see some of the goals scored and think, are you from the, what do you call it, ECHO? Yeah. Why are you so bad at this? Even Ken Dryden, as great as he was, was a mostly stand-up goalie. Compare him to, and I don't like him, but Dominic Hasek, I always hate that guy. I don't know why. Well, or Hasek Martin Brodeur, Patrick Waugh. Brodeur and Waugh are better examples. Yeah, they were butterfly-style goalies. They're covering the whole lower part of the net. net, and most shots go low, especially yeah. when you have in-close-type things, scrambles, people slashing at somebody's face with a puck trying to score in a playoff game or getting to the playoff game like in Goon. The style has changed. There's no question about it. You can't change people trying to figure out a better way to do things. That's going to happen. The game mm -hmm. involves. But you're right, the scoring was a result of a couple of different factors, not the least of which was the goalies playing the weird upright style they did. But look at their padding, too. Next to nothing. Next to nothing by comparison to what we see today. And I think that's something else the NHL is now trying to do is shrink the padding back down again, without being unsafe, but get rid of the bulk that's there for the sake of bulk and filling up the net. The danger is you make it too skinny and you start getting bruises and broken bones. You end up like Belcher, Belchior, the goalie, and Goon introduces himself by saying, I only have two rules. These are my Percocets. Do you have any Percocets? Yeah. Stay, with my, stay with my Percocets. And do you have any Percocets? Percocets yeah. That was the goalie. I thought maybe it was Laflamme. Okay. I was going to quote that, but you just did it for me. Let's get back to Goon then, the movie, because we talked about hockey itself for a while. There's a pretty lengthy hockey tangent. Yeah, that's what we do around here. Bev and I do the same thing. Goon doesn't waste time getting to the fights. We see Ross Ray, which is Liev Schreiber's character, and George LaRock, the actual goon from the Canadians, I think. And then you see blood on the ice and a tooth falling, which, of course, is reprised later, and that ends up being Ross's tooth and yep. Ross's blood, even though they make it look like it's LaRock's. When you see that opening shot of the tooth falling and then you put two and two together at the end of the movie when the fight between Ross and Glatt happens, I love the little touch of Ross Ray 
in this epic battle with Doug Glatt, the new... I don't even know how young he is, quite frankly, in this movie, but the young up-and-coming enforcer taking down the savvy vet in his... I guess it was his last game. About to retire. Correct me if I'm wrong. The winner of this game gets the eighth playoff spot and the loser goes home kind of thing, right? So Definitely Halifax was fighting for their playoff lives. And I think they said earlier... Was St. John's also fighting for their yeah, playoff lives? Okay. It was a must-win for both of them. So this is probably Ross Ray's last game. He loses the fight, loses a tooth. Mm-hmm. The last moment you see of him is him just sort of looking up a little bit and smiling and kind of savoring the entire experience. And it's mm-hmm. not even a question of winning or losing. It's just a question of going out there and, like Doug said to him... If the team needs me to bleed, I bleed. He went out on his shield, which is his job. Yeah. It's sick, but it's his job. There's a great buildup in that fight, too. It's all through the whole film. And unlike Color of Money or some other movies we've covered in our podcast, there actually is a payoff and a hell of a payoff, really. If you like fighting, it's a pretty damn good fight. It's like Rocky and Apollo and Rocky when they finally fight, but this time Rocky wins. Yeah. The underdog actually wins at the end against the guy who's, frankly, a better fighter than him. This one always makes me when sort of breaks cringe. his ankle. Oh. <laughs> or at least badly sprains it. I missed the first few times how they were foreshadowing that happening we talked about the scene where he takes the puck to the face Doug does mm-hmm. and he's playing goalie and somebody steps on his ankle at their skate right lucky, the same scene right yeah lucky he doesn't end up with a sliced Achilles tendon at that point the first lengthy conversation that Doug has with Allison he's telling a story about himself as a kid when he's trying to pull some stupid stunt and he gets like medical waste in the face and he falls into a dumpster and all of that and he offhandedly mentions I broke my ankle in three places and then later mm. on, when Jay Baruchel's character is watching the game with the Allison Pill character and Doug's brother, he again offhandedly throws out there, don't worry about it, he's always had bad ankles, right? right. They're kind of like laying the groundwork, and of course, sure enough, snap, and it's just that gruesome bent at the wrong angle shot that makes me cringe just looking at it. Which is one of the reasons why I wonder how these guys ever learned how to be skaters, but also to be able to fight. To stand basically still when something that's going to make you move, no matter what you do, and punch somebody and take punches back. I know. I, I definitely have to tip my cap to people that can do this. It makes you understand why it's two guys that don't just sort of stand opposite each other throwing haymakers. They grab one another for a reason, and it's because the force of what they're doing would just send them both reeling off to either uh, direction, <laughs> like ice capade style. Like in they... that movie Gravity where they're floating with <laughs> each other. Yeah. Whoa! Throw me back. It's a great fight scene leading up to that climax of Xavier... Laflamme scoring the hat trick in the third period for the Highlanders to win. What I loved about that shot, too, is at that point, Doug is just sitting by himself in a dark room, and you see the game playing. And I have to assume that he's listening to either the announcer or he's got the game playing on a television in the locker room or something when he's there with the Or at least hear the crowd. Or you can hear the crowd. But he's weeping to himself in a way that says, I inspired my yeah, team. I helped my team win. I helped my team. And they're I got my girl it. beside me here in the dressing room. There's an earnestness to this. We've talked at length, and I don't want to go back down that road again, about our personal feelings about fighting in hockey and enforcing a sport. What I could really sympathize with was the sense that Doug got from belonging to this team. Yeah. He has said early in the movie, I don't have a thing. I don't have a place. Everybody's got their thing. My gay brother is this doctor, and you've got your awesome show, which is really a shitty show, Mm -hmm. but I don't have a thing. And he discovers meaning in the team camaraderie, right? I know that we both have wives that are, in their own words, aggressively apathetic about professional sports. They sure are. Mine will never understand why I get so upset if the Leafs or the Jays lose a meaningful game or why I get excited if they win because who the hell cares? These are players that, for the most part, aren't from the city. They might Mm -hmm. not have been from the country. They just put on the sweater and they get paid millions of dollars to do it. They never meet you. They don't really care about you. Yeah, I I have nothing to do with it. 
but it's something tribal. Yeah. My people versus your people. That's exactly what is being portrayed here because like you said, he's getting paid to do it. He's actually in the mix of it, mm. even if it's at a low level. And he's finally experiencing that sense of belonging and meaningfulness. And it's so heartfelt and touching at that last moment where he realizes actually he's accomplished what he's there to do. I still didn't laugh, but you're bringing me around on this movie a little bit because that is true. That was a really nice ending from that standpoint. It's also a nice shot way earlier in the film when he leaves his security shirt on the bar, does the whole march in basically, as (laughs) Costanza would say. He doesn't do it as if to say, fuck you, but he puts the shirt down on the bar and I'm out of here. But you will notice the shirt was nicely folded when he put it on the bar. Because he's a nice guy. He probably longed it. I did. Folded it. I did the march out of a job a long time ago. I never actually officially quit to my boss, but it was the whole sort of, here are all my clothes, to the secretary. He looked at me, gate mouth, and wondered, where are you going? Now, it's a long you, story. I'm not going to tell it right now. But but I assume those were the clothes you wore to work, and you just had enough, so you stripped down in front of the secretary, left them on the desk, and marched out there, starkers. Nothing on. There it is. Actually, here. no, I was going to do something else that day in the area, so I'd had street clothes anyway. All right, I that's... wouldn't have done that if I didn't have the street clothes. <laughs> <laughs> but I can relate to that. I want to mention, by the way, Halifax. For those who don't know, Americans or whatever, that don't know anything about this town. Are you town, calling your American listeners ignorant? They don't know anything about Halifax, I'm sure. <laughs> I did not know this fact. It is smaller than five cities in Ontario alone. So Halifax is not okay. one of the bigger cities in the country. I thought maybe it was, say, sixth or seventh biggest after the obvious Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver. But no, it's somewhere way lower than that. And it is, I think, the biggest city in the Maritimes. It is. That's so it's not in the middle of nowhere when you go to Halifax itself. That is a city, a bona fide city, but it doesn't have that many people in it. And then you got the Halifax Highlanders versus the... St. John's uh, Shamrocks? Uh, St. John's is even smaller. So now, it's Newfoundland's sh- a very small province, Right, obviously. sure. So it's the Shamrocks versus the Highlanders, but it's Irish versus the Scottish. Yep. And, and they don't got- really dwell on that too much, but that's what you got going on, these two... Groups of people that probably aren't the hugest fans of each other. Well, you've got the Piper playing, right? When you watch mm. both teams get prepped for that final game, the bagpiper is going in the background, and I thought that was kind of neat. Bagpipes are much more Scottish than they are Irish by association, but they're both Gaelic peoples, right? And so the yeah. bagpipes would have an association with both. But you're right, the Irish versus the Scottish, two notoriously pugnacious people, mm. the climax of the game will end up being a fight, so it's kind of interwoven that way. All ties together. It all ties together in the end. So what about Sean William Scott as Doug? He's best known still for the American Pie movies, where he's probably the polar opposite character (laughs) in almost every way. Stifler the asshole, but funny in those movies. He trained hard to skate and to fight in this movie, put on weight for the role, and then Liev Schreiber, who's easily the, well, not easily the biggest star, because Eugene Levy's pretty well known, even south of the border. Schreiber's had a really good career, too. But yep. what do you think of those two guys? As effectively the main character. Schreiber's a supporting player, but they yeah. are the two main characters in our fight story here. I thought Schreiber was really good and, frankly, rocked a hell of a hockey hair That's true. style. Like He pulled off that mullet to perfection. He looks like he's huge. He's played roles in the past where he's meant to look imposing. And, of course, he plays Ray Donovan, who's effectively a mob enforcer. That's right. kind of his TV role. show, yeah. I've never he's seen it. But... Played, it's, yeah, I'd watch it. He's played Saber Wolf in Marvel movies in the past, right? Saber Tooth, yeah. Saber Tooth, yeah. Yeah, he's supposed to be reviled a massive guy. X Men Origins movie. Yeah, not a good movie. Right. But I thought he did a great job of playing the guy that is as tough as nails. You rattled off some names about enforcers in the NHL historically and Ty Domi. Not necessarily the biggest men on the ice to no, be no. the enforcers. Domi Often was they were. small by hockey standards. Semenko, for instance, is a big dude. Or even McSorley was a big dude. But Bob Probert and Ty Domi, most of all, were not big men. How that Probert was? Not huge. Okay. Not like the imposing, towering kind of guy. But they were just willing to take the punishment. 
And we're good at delivering it too, especially exactly. Probert. And that's what Liev Schreiber embodied very well to me, is the guy that may not be the biggest man on the ice, but he's the toughest man on the ice. Sure. And you see that a couple of times when he's taunting benches and he just does a little jab step towards them and they all back off because nobody wants to mess with him. Doug never does anything like that, it's true. Doug's just Ross like, is a performer, though. He is, but he also fully understands exactly the same type of sentiment that Doug says much more eloquently, ironically enough, being as dumb <laughs> as he is. He's more eloquent about it, putting it into words. But when he sits down at 3 a.m. in St. John's to have a chat, Doug and Ross, the Liev Schreiber character, mm. the advice that Schreiber gives to the Sean William Scott character is, you're there because they want to see you bleed. Don't ever think you're going to be a hockey player. I don't play a lot of hockey. I go out there and I'm the gladiator. Ross is more talented than Doug is, though, when we see him play. You see highlights of him scoring He's supposed to be an actual scorer. You mentioned Bob Probert again. He scored 29 goals one year. For a goon, that's pretty good. He almost scored 30 goals. He played beside Steve Eiserman in his prime, but still. Listen, you don't get to the NHL generally unless you can actually play hockey. At least right. well enough. Yeah. yeah. So I We've mean, talked before about baseball players. The worst one in the league is probably a great baseball player by human yeah. standards. Hockey players, the worst one, whoever he is right now, or in the 80s when it would have been some goon, yeah, probably against some pickup league would be a pretty good player. Yeah, he'd probably score a hat-trick every game. Sean William Scott, I thought, did a great job of being this earnest guy. I don't know what this says about Sean William Scott himself, by the way. It's been so long since I saw movies that he was actually had a starring role in. But I never remember him coming across as particularly bright in any of those movies. Even the ones that I thought were stupid but enjoyable, I didn't think he was particularly great. But he does earnest and not very bright, but well-meaning really, really well. So you may think he's method acting, <laughs> just being himself? He might just be being himself. Yeah. I don't know. He's well cast. He's well cast. As far as the other cast members, we mentioned pretty much everybody now. Mark andre Grandin is La Flamme. It says online the Trailer Park Boys are in this movie. Mike Ricci is one of the players as yep. well. Where were the Trailer Park Boys? Okay, so Ricky is the engineer of the local cable show that Jay Baruchel's character runs. Okay. You only see each of them, and, and you don't see all the Trailer Park Boys. You see Ricky and you see Julian, and those are the only two that I recognized. Julian's up in the booth, and he's the producer. And when the okay. hockey coach calls in to say, I want to give you a tryout tomorrow at 2.30, you really impressed me in that, in that brawl in the stands earlier. Julian's the guy saying, it's really him, it's really him in the booth. And Ricky's the guy who's laughing his ass off while he's eating some food, nominally being the engineer of the show earlier. So they're not the three of them together as fans or something like that? No, they just have little bit roles. So for our Canadian fans who like the Trailer Park Boys, they are in this movie, in those roles at least. Yeah, I remember the Tragically Hip were in Men With Brooms, another Canadian film, which was about curling. I can honestly say I've never seen that movie. Maybe that makes me a bad Canadian too. So it's just using Canadian icons, Trailer Park Boys, The Hip, and whatnot in Canadian I think so. hockey I, movies or sports movies. I would imagine this movie was probably also filmed in Halifax. Yeah, I think it was all shot here, or at least mostly shot in Canada. So, so that makes sense, because the Trailer Park Boys is also shot in the East Coast, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not sure it was Halifax specifically. It might have been some other cheaper place to shoot than yeah, maybe. what is a fairly major city out there. But they probably figured if we're out in that region anyway, let's get these guys in for a token shot. Mm-hmm. Just say we had them. So the movie was nominated for a lot of things, but all in Canada. Not the Oscars, anything like that. Including the Directors Guild of Canada. So there was so Sean William Scott did not get the coveted nomination for Best Actor. Didn't go up against, who would it be? Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln that year. It wasn't, the nominees are Sean William Scott in Goon, Daniel Day-Lewis in Lincoln. A, Who's it going to be? That's a tough one. <laughs> all right, so apart from Miracle, I ask, are there any really good hockey movies? You might think this one, I'm a little more on the fence. Maybe Slapshot is, I haven't seen it in a long time. There are many meh ones. 
And I would put Goon in that meh category, but like I said, I was in a bit of a bad mood that day, and I didn't laugh, although you didn't either, so... There were some legitimately amusing moments. Yeah, but not laugh. No, it's not like... It's a comedy, I want to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Is that asking so much? I want to laugh, damn it! I think I will turn you around on this in time. Maybe I'll watch the sequel. It is on, I think, Demand on TMN here in Canada. I know I've seen the icon for it somewhere. I don't think it's on Netflix. The other big question we always ask is, can you score at this movie? Who doesn't get turned on by a blood-soaked stifler? (laughs) That could be so easily misinterpreted, Ryan. I think you got to be careful how you're phrasing things. I stand by it. (laughs) I stand by my phrasing. I'll show you a blood-soaked stifler. No, no inspiration for sex in this movie, is there? It kind of depends on how twisted you are. If Jay Baruchel does one thing in this movie, it's make every lewd, sex-related gesture you can possibly make. Yep. Doug Glatt's number in this movie is 69, right. because... It'll be hilarious! It'll be hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That was a decent joke, dude, I guess. Xavier Laflamme getting it on with many women over the course of this movie. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it all, you get the heartwarming shot of a bloodied stifler lovingly holding but his But that's not his a turn-on at all. No, that's true. So the answer is no. The answer is no scoring no. at this movie. Nonetheless, I feel this movie scores. I will sway your opinion one way or the well, other. Well, in that sense, it scores, I guess, for you, but not in the ooh, ooh sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I just thrust my hips forward a little bit there for Chris's sake. Next week, or two weeks, I always say next week, but in two weeks, we're going to cover a different sport, dodgeball, in the movie Dodgeball, well, a true underdog story. And you want to talk about low grade professional mm-hmm. sports? Doesn't get much more low grade than part of the fun of this though is covering different types of sports. We could cover football, baseball, and boxing and do that for an entire year easily for the twenty some odd podcasts we would do. I think we should just focus on the Ocho and all the Mm -hmm. sports that they cover for a while. I haven't seen this movie in a long time, and I bet there's a lot of big players now, or at least bigger players than they were at the time in small roles. Jason Bateman wasn't really a player at that point after he'd been in TV shows. Valerie's family, whatever the hell it's called in the eighties. But then Arrested Development was coming along around that time. Not a big hit, but then of course now he's become a star. I honestly don't think there are that many. I think Bateman's a good okay. example of that. Alan Tudyk is not a star, but he's in the movie. Tudyk, as Doug Benson calls him. <laughs> There's a lot of actors in that movie that are very well known, but I think are probably less successful now than they were when this movie oh, okay. released. Well, Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller are the big stars, and they've maintained even, their star even status. The Justin Long's of the world should have been bigger than he was. He was really? so great. In Galaxy Quest, Galaxy Quest man, one of the great okay. supporting roles for comedy ever. I love Galaxy Quest, and I love. No, I, I can't even say I love Justin Long in Galaxy Quest. But he's fine in Galaxy he's Quest. He's great in Galaxy oh, Quest. God. His first ever movie. We need to do a Galaxy Quest pod. I'm in. I could debate that movie until the dogs come home. All right, so as always, I am at MovieFiend51 on Twitter. Please follow and say things to me about anything, but especially about movies, especially about sports movies in this case. Chris is not on Twitter. You nope. cannot email him. He will have you arrested if you try. Also, our website, top100project.com, for all the podcasts I've ever done with Chris or Bev, and it is well over 280-ish. i got to do an actual number on all the podcasts ever so I know, because Bev and I always dispute this, and I don't know. Since I've done them with you, 12 of these now. I just like to make things a little bit more difficult for you. you know. Well, it's also our iterations. We have so many different iterations. (laughs) It's not just one podcast. I never say at the beginning, welcome to our 275th episode. I don't really know where we are now. It's the 127th-ish in the next 100 project, but we had all those podcasts before that. and Anyway. It's a mess. But incidentally, <laughs> Playmaker APA? Right, yes. Fantastic. Very okay. good beer. Very impressed. No Street Organic? Cheers. That was a weird-sounding tap. That was an aggressive Weird-sounding <laughs> toast there. Okay, well. Like two good Canadian boys. We finished our drinks, and now we can... Have more. Have more, yes. Take your easy, dudes. I know that you will.